crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Christopher Eames and I'll be your host for today's program. It's been a big weekend over Thanksgiving break. I spent the weekend touring Norway with some friends, uh, experiencing some ancient Viking history, while your regular host, Brent Nagtigale, has been touring some of our Herbert W. Armstrong college students around Israel, and they've been visiting some of the ancient sites there. But for today's program, I want to cover a subject a lot earlier than Norway's Viking history, and even a lot earlier than Israel's general history. For this program, I want to go right back to the very beginning, to Adam and Eve, looking at the hard science behind the so-called primeval couple. Now, most people, even many religious people, take the Adam and Eve story to be just a fanciful myth. But did you know there's a great deal of hard science, genetics, morphology, and archaeology behind Adam and Eve? The amount of hard evidence behind the couple may come as a shock to you. It it certainly did for me. So let's look at the genetics first and see how far we get into this. We've got a lot of material, and it is some really interesting stuff to me. It was really exciting to get into this study. We've got a brand new article out on this on our website, watchjerusalem.co.il, watchjerusalem.co.il, and it's entitled The Case for Adam and Eve. Uh, if you want to have a look at the the longer article. But we'll see how, how much we can get through on this program. So we'll start looking at the genetics first. Now, all human beings contain mitochondrial DNA. Now, uh, however, it's only passed through the female egg. So while a son and a daughter receive mitochondria from the mother, only the daughter will pass it on to her descendants. Now, you'll have to forgive me if it's a little bit complex. I'll, I'll try and keep it simple. But this mitochondrial DNA passed through the, uh, the female line provides a useful tool for geneticists to dis- determine female lineage. And importantly, it has confirmed that all living females have descended in direct lineage from just one woman. That's what the experts have been able to determine. Now, this isn't pseudoscience. This, this is an established, well-known, scientifically proven, accepted conclusion. Now, this woman is known as mitochondrial Eve, and all living can trace their lineage in a direct line to this female. This mitochondrial DNA changes rapidly, and it sort of acts as a molecular clock. Uh, so to speak. Now, scientists use the differences, the mutations in a woman's mtDNA, mitochondrial DNA, to calculate how long ago their most recent common ancestor, mitochondrial Eve, must have lived. So, the big question, we have one single female in direct lineage that all mankind links back to, but when did she live? Now, this part is tricky. And it's based on mutations, how long it took uh, 
for different females' mitochondrial DNA to mutate and diverge away from the original central uh, mitochondrial DNA sequence for Eve. Now, in attempting to calculate this, scientists generally place mitochondrial Eve as living about 200,000 years ago. Now, this is highly speculative. This date is based on a lot of theory, uh, based on the molecular clock concept. Uh, It it includes some um, calibrations, such as uh, calibrations with known geological events, so-called known geological events, as well as evolution sacred fossil records. So there's a lot of assumed knowns here, but still... Due to the vast uh, number of un- of these unknowns and uncertainties, scientists generally slap a pretty healthy um, uh, amount of error onto this uh, date for Eve, uh, a pretty healthy margin of error. So she's put anywhere between 50,000 years ago and 500,000 years ago. So the scientists usually go with a median 200,000 years. Now, we'll get to some research in a little bit that provides evidence of a dramatically reduced age of Eve, age of mitochondrial Eve. But first, though, it's, it's quite frankly a stunning admission by evolutionary scientists that all humans descended from just one woman around 200,000 years ago. After all, according to the evolutionary theory, the earliest humans, so to speak, are believed to have emerged about 2.5 million years ago. So how do scientists explain it? How do scientists explain such a young, single uh, mother for all mankind? Now, the general answer to this is that some kind of catastrophe caused the human population to bottleneck Uh, is the word they often use, bottleneck, at the time of mitochondrial eve. So they say perhaps something in the form of a volcanic eruption or a meteor striking earth. And they say that this would have left very few survivors on the planet. And they speculate that this, this, this would have left a few females on the planet. And in time, the female descendants of all but one woman died out carrying all their unique mitochondrial DNA to the grave. And thus, the mitochondrial DNA of only one so-called lucky mother continued. Such an, an assessment, though, is extraordinary, that, that after two million years plus of human evolution, so we are told, not including those prior common ancestors, after two million years plus of human evolution, our human race would narrow down to just one single female's lineage somewhere in the realm of 200,000 years ago plus or minus 200,000 years, really, if we're to take their margin of error. Now, that's certainly quite a bottleneck, and the, the explanation just beggars belief. But, but there is now research claiming that mitochondrial Eve is actually far younger than commonly thought. This is based on the studies of geneticists Dr. John Sanford and Dr. Robin Carter, Robert Carter, challenging the commonly referenced age of 200,000 years, plus or minus 200,000 years. And they write on the subject, quote, We have been able to reconstruct and publish a very close approximation of Eve's mitochondrial sequence. We found that the average human being is only about 22 mutations removed from the Eve sequence. 
although some individuals are as much as 100 mutations removed from Eve. The most recent estimate of the mutation rate in human mitochondria is about 0.5 per generation. Now, bear with me, there's a, there's a little bit of detail here. Uh, but we're getting to the point here. Thus, even for the most mutated sequences, it would only require 200 generations or less than 6,000 years to, uh, to accumulate 100 mutations. This calculation, they continue, is based upon the most straightforward application of the molecular clock concept. So according to Drs. Sanford and, Car- and Carter, if we're able to if if we are to abide by a reasonable mutational clock, our mitochondrial eve dates uh, quite easily back within 6000 years, the exact biblical time frame for mother eve. Now that's not to say though that mitochondrial eve strictly has to be eve herself. Mitochondrial DNA, it merely points to the most recent common female ancestor, and it could have potentially been one of Eve's daughters or perhaps one of her slightly later female descendants. But the the main point is this, that a single common female ancestor that science has proven that we all go back to, this single ancestor fits squarely within the biblical time frame for Adam and Eve. According to the genetics, it fits squarely within that 6,000-year time frame, thus remarkably corroborating the biblical account. So we have our Eve. Now, what about, uh, what about patrilineal ancestry? Does our mitochondrial Eve have her Adam? Well, the answer to that is a little bit complicated. Yes and no. Now, patrilineal ancestry can be traced with the Y chromosome, which, of course, is passed down from father to son. This one, though, appears to be a lot more difficult to trace genealogically as opposed to mitochondrial DNA. But again, though, incredibly, geneticists concur that all humans alive came from, again, just one paternal ancestor. What is, again, much debated is when this Adam, this Y chromosome Adam, was on the scene. Now, there are wild updated uh, guesses being constantly updated and thrown around from anything between 50,000 years ago and 600,000 years ago. And one line of reasoning says that uh, when factoring in the high diversity of reproductive success among men as compared to women, our nearest uh, common Y chromosome, Adam, should have been on the scene long after mitochondrial Eve long after mitochondrial Eve. Now, there's lots of different perspectives, and so this is only one of them, that he should have been on the scene long after mitochondrial Eve. And from a biblical perspective, that is absolutely right, because Y-chromosome Adam would have been, in fact, Noah. The Bible shows this pretty clearly to have been the case. All human beings descended, uh, according to the Bible, from Adam and Eve, But only Noah, his wife, and his three sons survived the Great Flood, which you could call a bottleneck of sorts that, according to biblical chronology, happened around 4,500 years ago. So it's from Noah's family that all humanity derives, according to the Bible. The closest common Y-chromosomal ancestor, then, would have to be Noah. Noah. 
who passed on his wise, shall we say, to his three sons. But the mitochondrial Eve would have long predated this. Of course, her unique mitochondrial DNA being carried on not by Noah's wife, but from the sons' wives passed on to their future daughters. So again, it all comes down to genetic diversity and the amount of time it would have taken for mutations to take place away from the core Y-chromosome Adam sequence. And this, uh, this all comes to play in determining the age of Y-chromosome Adam. Is it like the evolutionary scientists say? Did Adam, this Y-chromosome Adam, date somewhere between 50,000 uh, before present and 500,000 years before present? Well, again, Sanford and Carter, Drs. Sanford and Carter, bring some important perspective to this subject uh, when simply considering it in the pure current mutation rate without any extraneous evolutionary assumptions. They say, quote, Today the Y chromosomes of modern men are only about 300 mutations removed from Y chromosome Adam. If we assume a normal mutation rate for the Y chromosome, which is about one mutation per chromosome per generation, we would only need 300 generations or about 6,000 years to get 300 mutations. This is the most uh, straightforward application of the molecular clock concept, end of quote. So the numbers speak for themselves. What does genetics tell us? We have a nearest common ancestor time frame for both Eve, mitochondrial Eve, and Y-chromosome Adam, or who we know to be Noah, uh, a, a remarkable time frame that rem- that quite uh, surprisingly fits into the biblical chronology. I mean, it's it's surprising if you've been brought up on the idea that uh, humans have just been uh, evolving for millions of years. Well, scientists readily admit that we do have a single male ancestor and a single female ancestor in the relatively near past that we all. Uh, link back to indirect lineage. And according to the pure genetic assessment uh, brought to us here by Sanford and Carter, doctors Sanford and Carter, uh, really laying it out in, in the pure current mutation rates without any of that extraneous evolutionary uh, uh, data, it the numbers really speak for themselves. And this time frame fits into biblical chronology within the last 6,000 years. Now, we'll take a short break, but do stay with us. We'll continue the program by next discussing the morphological and archaeological evidence for Adam and Eve. This is Watch Jerusalem, where history and prophecy come alive. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the program. I'm Christopher Eames, your host for today. And for today's program, we're looking at the vast amount of scientific evidence behind Adam and Eve. Yes, you heard me right, a vast amount of scientific evidence pointing to this primeval couple, so to speak, in genetics, in morphology, and in in archaeology. 
Now, we've just looked into some of the genetic evidence that points to Adam and Eve as according to the biblical story, backing up the biblical account. Now, we'll see how far we get with the remaining material. Uh, Again, we have a brand new article on this on our website, and it's entitled The Case for Adam and Eve. So if we don't quite get through all of it, do take a look at that article online. Uh, But let's continue with some of this fascinating science that uh, that goes a long way in proving this early couple. So according to the genetics, we have our earliest common ancestors, but segueing into a slightly different subject, where did they come from? Quite literally, where did they come from? Now, the Bible says that the first man was formed, quote, out of the dust of the ground, end of quote. What has science shown about this? Now, experts have been able to determine that the human body is made up of 25 elements, every one of them necessary for human life. And, surprise, surprise, every one of these elements is found in the Earth's soil. According to biblical chronology, the statement that man came from the dust of the ground was penned, shall we say, at the hand of Moses about 3,400 years ago. Yet it wasn't until 1982 when it was confirmed that every element in man is found in the soil, the dust of the ground, as Moses wrote prompting one scientist to quite famously remark, quote, the biblical scenario for the creation of life turns out to be not far off the mark. So there we have the man made from the dust of the ground, but what specifically about the creation of the woman? You'll remember that the biblical account of her is quite unique, talking about her being made from the man's rib. To the unbeliever, preposterous. To the believer, God is capable of anything. So what does science say about this? Does it say anything? It might come as a surprise. Now, the choice of a rib is very interesting. Science has uh, discovered a trait unique to ribs. They actually regenerate. It has been found that if the perichondrium, now this is the membrane covering the rib, if the perichondrium is left in place, then the rib bone will actually regrow inside of it. Much of the knowledge on this subject has only uh, just emerged over the last few years, and the rib is the only known bone to do this, to regenerate, to regrow. Bone from the rib cage is used by doctors to reconstruct damaged bone tissue in other parts of the body. So one could say that with the use of rib bone, In reconstructive surgery, doctors are sort of unwittingly replicating, in a minute way, Genesis 2, in using a rib to create, or rather complete, a human being. So it's quite ironic that going on in the medical practice. And the Bible continually affirms the perfection of God's creation. So did God perhaps intend for Adam to continue in life odd-ribbed, or did he perhaps deliberately create and use the specific bone, the rib bone, that would regenerate itself, thus leaving no imperfection behind? We can only speculate about that, but it is a really interesting quality of the rib. And one more key point about the science behind the rib, bone marrow is one of the key sources for stem cells. 
These are cells that can convert into all different types of cell in the human body, thus enabling the creation of a complete human being, i.e. Eve. And the rib cage, the rib cage is a notably prolific pro- producer of these cells, of these stem cells. Now, how could the ancients have known these features about the humble rib thousands of years ago when they were shall we say, making up the story of Adam and Eve? How were they to know about these details? How were they to know about the genetics that we covered in the first part of the program and that the genetics line up with the, with the biblical dating of Adam and Eve? Was it just lucky chance that in, in writing about the, the creation of Eve, they picked the one regenerating bone rich in stem cells? Well, that's a little on the uh, the morphology. So let's let's take a turn to the archaeology, and uh, there's there's a remarkable archaeological account that does give a further link to this creation of Eve from the rib, and archaeology gives us some additional details about the original couple. Uh, but first, we'll start out with this account uh, parallel account of Eve. Now, if you've been listening to this program or reading the articles that we've been been producing, you may have heard us talk about the ancient Sumerians. Now, this is an ancient civilization believed to be the Shinar of the Bible, Sumer, the Shinar of the Bible, and it's a culture that only ended around 4,000 years ago. Now, this culture, the the Sumerian culture, worshipped an early being named Enki, and this being succumbed to an illness in one of in many of his organs including specifically his rib and it's curious that this illness came to him from eating forbidden flowers now for each part of the uh, afflicted for each afflicted part of his body a female being was born and in order to heal the rib, his afflicted rib, a female called Ninti was born. And Ninti means lady rib. Now, the name Ninti is especially notable, more so than the other goddesses born for Enki's other afflicted body parts. The name of this goddess, Ninti, didn't just denote a body part. It didn't just denote lady rib, the rib. Ninti has a dual meaning in Sumerian, not just lady rib, but also mother of the living. The Sumerian word for rib, T, is uh, synonymous with life. It sort of is here in England, really. T is life. Anyway, sorry. Uh, but Ninti uh, means lady rib and also mother of the living. So T being synonymous with life. And as such, Ninti was specially known as the goddess of life and also the one who makes live. So the parallels with Eve here are very clear and ancient. The story featuring Ninti goes back 3,800 years, and the original form may date back even earlier than that. So it, it begs the question, really, what caused the word for rib to become synonymous with life? And how did it come to be used as the name for the mother of all living? Was it just purely coincidental linguistics or perhaps a deeper foundational history? And what about Adam? Surely the name of the earliest biblical human would also be found in early secular history, and that it is. 
The name Adam is attested to on the Assyrian king list. This list is known from tablets dating back to the 11th century BC, but even these copies are known to have come from an earlier original source compiled around 1800 uh, BC. This Adam is believed to refer to either the first or second king of the Assyrian people, and there is some speculation that that this is the first, uh, that, that as the first, this is actually a reference to Adam himself. So a possibility there of, the, uh, of this Adam on the Assyrian king list, not just featured as an early name, and that attests to what the Bible says, that Adam was an early name, but that this was possibly Adam himself as well. There's some speculation about that. And another Adam parallel can be found in Egypt among their pantheon of gods. Now, this Adam is particularly unique. According to the Heliopolis creation myth, he was known as the, quote, first god and living being. And his name, Atom, Atom, A-T-U-M. According to the Egyptians, this first being, Atom, emerged from a chaotic state of darkness and a primordial watery abyss. Now, if you're familiar with Genesis 1, this should bring back to mind uh, very obvious imagery. Uh, Genesis 1 verse 2 says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the biblical uh, Adam's son, the Adam of the Bible, his son was named Seth. Now, interestingly, this Egyptian Atom's great-grandson is also, is also named Seth. Now, while there are, of course, many differences with the general Egyptian and Assyrian accounts, the elements that are similar are intriguing and impossible to overlook. Are they mere coincidence? Surely not. So where did they come from? Perhaps a common historical memory of an actual event? Now, as an aside, many pharaohs named themselves a son of Atom, and the, the Hebrew biblical term for human commonly used this day is Ben-Adam, or literally, son of Adam. Now, we've run out of time on this program, but there's just so much more we could delve into. There's the ancient Greek parallels of Adam and Eve. There is an ancient possible depiction of Adam and Eve on a cylinder seal. And even the serpent, the form taken on by Satan, remember that God condemned the serpent to slither on the ground minus its legs. Science shows that snakes did indeed once have legs and even still have the embedded gene for growing them. Only one of the DNA components for doing so is broken, quote unquote. Interesting that. Any, any idea why? I think you know the answer to that, and it follows quite quite accurately along with what the Bible says. It just makes sense. Anyway, for this and more, do check out our article, The Case for Adam and Eve. I think this has been one of my most fa- favorite articles to put together for the website. Really love pulling this together. Really interesting information. And the proof behind what is so mistakenly considered to just be a fairy tale subject by so many. But what are the chances? What are the chances that the ancients got all these things right? 
the fact that man's genetics point back to one male and one female ancestor within the last 6,000 years, that man's elemental composition actually does match that of the soil that he is said to have come from, that Eve was made from a rib, the one bone only recently discovered to regrow, rich in stem cells, the building blocks of life, and all the archaeological historical background there. Even the fact that snakes used to have legs and their DNA shows that the gene is still in there but is broken. What are the chances that the ancients knew all of this? They couldn't really without modern science. It's only up until uh, the modern day with with computers and with graphs and, and our modern ability to tabulate all of this that we've been able to put this together. So what are the chances that the ancients just made this up. So did Adam and Eve exist? Well, in the end, that's asking the wrong question. More appropriately, does God exist? You can take a look at our free 13-page booklet. It's just a short booklet, uh, but really packs a punch. 13-page booklet, Does God Exist? is the title of that booklet. To find out for yourself, you can order a hard copy or read uh, the PDF PDF of the booklet online. You can find it on our website at watchjerusalem.co.il. And you can also find the article uh, that formed the basis of today's message on Watch Jerusalem as well. And again, that, that article is entitled The Case for Adam and Eve. Thank you for listening. If you have any feedback, please feel free to send that to letters at watchjerusalem.co.il. 